full wonder about this. Back when I was doing youth ministry, a lot of times I would have kids that were 17, 18, or maybe on into college that would come to me and have a conversation. And they would ask, they would say, do I need to be rebaptized?" And that conversation is a complicated conversation. It's not one that has an easy answer, but it's born out of this idea or this question of, if I've been baptized as a Christian, am I really a Christian? Is that all that it takes? Is it just dunking in the water and everything is good? And, and you know, do I go on from there and, and everything is smooth sailing? And essentially this conversation comes down to two ends of a spectrum of where you fall. One, you, you've probably heard before, but some people believe in an idea of called once saved, always saved. That once you've been saved, once that moment has happened, you're good, everything kind of goes on. And, and not to summarize it or to make it sound shallow, but... That's essentially the way we understand it because we haven't been raised in it. But then there's the other, and this is how they jokingly talk about us, which is once saved, never saved. That the other extreme is that you've been dunked and then you go the rest of your life never knowing if you're there, never knowing if you've been saved, never knowing if you are on the right path, so to speak. And so it's this spectrum of either thinking that once all this starts, you're good, or am I good? And you question it forever. Well, if you look in Scripture, it's clear that neither two of these extremes are true. Let's look at the, the one extreme that sounds like that it's a one and done thing. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. These are the verses that, that people look at and say, well, it sounds to me like it's a one and done. It's, it's not our own doing. It's all God's doing. Then you have a verse like this in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus speaking, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You hear verses like this and you can kind of see, all right, maybe there's some truth to this. Maybe it is a, you know, if nobody can take us out of God's hand, then how is it that we cannot be saved? Well, then you flip over and you find more in Scripture. Like Hebrews says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have come or once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then to have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. And this is not the only place that, that shows that it is possible to fall away. In fact, you're going to see it in a lot of places. Just another example, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. How can you depart from it if you never had it? So as you can see, it's not this clear cut one end of the spectrum or the other, but it's somewhere in the middle. And we have to wrestle with this and we have to think about, well, can we know? Is this something we can know? One of the verses that always made me worry about this, that made me really wrestle with this was Matthew 7. Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When I read this, it sounds like, man, you just, you're never going to know. You're going to be able to do and do and do. And no matter how many of these great works you do, you can get to the end and Jesus says, hey, I don't know you. And I wrestle with that. But I think even in this, we can start to see the hints of how it is that we know. How is it that we can have an assurance? How is it that we can know more than just hoping it's a coin flip at the end? You know, the first thing he says is the one that does the will of my father. But then you look and it's followed by a list of things that we would say, hey, those are pretty good things. But I think the key is really in how Jesus responds to those that he says he doesn't know. Think about that. He says, I never knew you. Think about that. Have you ever had somebody that went out and, you know, and in fact, a good example of this would be Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. There's all kinds of different things that people just slap Dave Ramsey's name on. And it makes it sound better because he's this financial genius and financial guru. And so much so that Babylon B, the satirical site, that they said Dave Ramsey supports a new credit card. Right? And of course, everybody that knows Dave Ramsey laughs. But you can't tell me somebody out there hasn't tried. Somebody out there hasn't tried to support something that's financially not good by throwing Dave Ramsey's name on it. I think people do the same thing with God. Is they're really doing their own will. They're really living their own life. But in a lot of ways, they think they're just slapping on the name of Jesus to it. Isn't that what it says? We prophesied in your name. Does that mean that it was true prophecy? We cast out demons in your name. Was that truly what was going on? Many mighty works in your name. We can't just slap the name of Jesus on anything that we do. But instead, the key is to know him. We have to have a relationship with Him. We have to be talking with Him before everything that we do. We can't just do it and then after fact say, yeah, Jesus, that was good, wasn't it? I think that's the beginning of the signs, is if that we are going to think, if we're even going to start this conversation, if you're even going to be able to say, hey, you know, I am salvation. You know, I've got this salvation. If I'm on that path, it starts with a relationship with Him. 1 Peter is along the same lines. And, and if you want just a nice little simple list, if that's the kind of person, go to this yourself. Or I'm sorry, 2 Peter. But if not, we're, we're going to look at something else. But I want to read this because I think it's a really good one just to have in your mind when you think about this. But it starts like this in verse 5 of chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now I want to stop right there because just like we just said, it all starts with faith. If you're here today and you haven't grown this faith, if you don't have a faith in God, it starts there. And just like we read in Matthew 7, it's a relationship. That is where this begins. The question of are you saved, you can't even think to answer yes unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Unless you walk with Him. Unless you follow and obey the things that He says. You have to have, and it starts with, this faith. But He goes on, He says... Supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue with knowledge, and with knowledge self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For this, sorry, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever takes or lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way you will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I could have spent the whole sermon on this, but this is one that I think if you really just want the simple one place to go to, go home and wrestle with this. But if you're like me, and sometimes a simple sentence or a simple list can be almost too confusing. I need more information. I need you to talk me through it. I need you to walk me through it. What I want to look at this morning is actually an entire book of the Bible that I believe goes throughout the whole thing, helping you to understand and to know that you are with God, to know that you have eternal life. You don't believe me? He said it himself. 1 John 5, 13, at the end of the book, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're here this morning... You believe in the Son of God. This book, John says, is written so that you can know you have eternal life. Not that we are always saved, right? We're going to look through this. We're going to wrestle with this. Some of this is going to be challenging because it's going to ask you to look at yourself and say, am I doing these things? Because it's a test. It's this litmus test, so to speak, that is for you to see if you are on the right path, to see if you are going where Jesus went. The first one we're going to look at is walk in the light. I have to click four times for every one. We must need to check the batteries. Walk in the light. 1 John 1, 6 through 9. If you want to write these down and, and look at them later, we're going to go somewhat quick. Like I said with this series, it is an overview. Uh, but it starts like this in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The first thing you need to know is we need to be walking in the light. Now, what does that mean? If you look throughout Scripture, this concept, this metaphor of light is used in so many different ways. And we can go all over the place to try to understand, well, what is this metaphor of light? What does he mean by walking in the light? But I think the best place to start is with John himself. If you go back to his gospel in John chapter 3 and verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. One of the things that John says elsewhere is that Jesus is this light, that we come to him. But the underlying principle, I believe here, is that are we living a life where we're going to the light, where we're willing for people to look at us and scrutinize us and say, hey, you know, look at my life. Am I living the way I'm supposed to? Am I confessing am I willing to admit that I have mistakes or do we live a life where we're constantly hiding we're constantly having to lie to cover up we're constantly trying to avoid relationships with people that go beyond surface level because we don't want them to see what's going on inside of us and do we push away God because we know that God just wants to change us and we like 
how things are. See, walking in the light is living this type of life where we seek out God. We seek out the light. We seek out shining into all corners of our life and how we live and making sure that every aspect of our life is exposed to Jesus Christ. We're not okay with these major areas of our life that we're just like, no, God, you can't have that. I I don't want you to mess with that. I don't want you to change how I handle my money. I don't want you to change when it comes to cheering for my my sport team. You know, I don't want you to change what I do on the weekends. If we live a life where we're trying to keep that in the darkness, if we live a life where we're not taking that to God, he says that we're a liar. We deceive ourselves. And this truth is not in us. You know, this truth here, it's not like an ignorance, right? It's it's not that, but instead it's this activated integrity. It's that you have this inside of you and you're willing to share it. You're willing to live it out. You know, we're told elsewhere that ignorance is not something that we, we shouldn't be so concerned about that. What do we read in 1 Peter? It wasn't the first thing on the list, right? Faith, virtue, knowledge comes later. We add that knowledge to it. But ultimately, are we living a life that we go to God and we say, God, examine me. Look me over. See what things that I, help me to see the areas of my life that I've been trying to hide in the darkness and not want anybody to see. Are we living that type of life? That's the first thing. The second thing, love the brothers. It says this, by this we know love. That he laid down his life for... I'm sorry, I'm reading. <laughs> I get two up here. I'm sorry, that's my bad. Uh, so this is, uh, this is in 1 John still. This is in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Right? If you want to know where you're at, you want to know how you're doing in this walk. How are you loving the people in this room? You know, how, how, just think about that for a second. How are you loving the people in this room? Do you, let's, let's start with just a simple one. Can you forgive the people in this room? You know, many times throughout Scripture, we're told that how we forgive others is the way that we're forgiven. And we're not even talking about the world. We're just talking about this room right here. People that claim the name of Jesus Christ. How well do we do at forgiving each other? That's just one aspect of love. How are we serving each other? How are we feeding and supporting and bearing each other's burdens? See, he says right here, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In the same way that we talked about walking in the light, allowing God to shine into all areas of our life, we need to be praying, God, show me if I have any hatred towards a brother and sister in Christ. Because if I do, John says we're a murderer and we don't have eternal life abiding in us. we got to make sure that we are truly loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to know the, the degree to this? I, I kind of spoiled it a second ago. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 
Then he goes on and he gives us a practical example. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. Let's don't just talk about this, but in deed and in truth. And what did we say a second ago? Truth is not an ignorance issue. It's an activated issue. You may know what you need to do, but are you doing it? Are you just talking about it? Or are we just theorizing about it? Or are we actually actively loving each other? You know, it'd be easy enough if this was just in one place. It'd be easy enough to say, oh, that's, you know, that's their situation. But not at all. John 13, Jesus himself, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says, look, this is, is his litmus test. You want to know if you're truly following Jesus? How are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, this is one that on the surface, we, we may, back to that talk idea, we may think this sounds pretty easy. Oh, yeah, well, I love so-and-so. I love this person. You know, I can list off the, the people in the congregation that I love, but let's list the people that get under our skin. Let's think about the people that don't think the way that I do. Let's think about the people that maybe are from a different background and I just have a hard time being around them. You know, it's those people where we really have to shine that light. We really have to come to Jesus and say, hey, am I loving the whole family of God? Like I said, this is it's challenging. Can we have assurance? I believe so, but we have to ask ourselves these tough questions. We have to ask ourselves the questions that maybe we'd rather not. But just like 1 John 1 said, if we try to hide these things, if we try to live in darkness, if we try to bury these down deep, then we're just lying to ourselves. And we're just thinking we're on the right path when the reality is that we have no life abiding in us at all. It's difficult, but is it worth it? Absolutely. You know, he goes on. The, the next one I want you to see is to keep his commandments. 1 John 3, 24 says this, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commands us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given to us. Now we'll get to that second part here in a second. But the two things he says is that you want to know what it means to keep his commandments according to John? You believe in his Son and you love the brothers. You know, elsewhere, the two greatest commandments, love God, love others. He sums it up right here. If you believe in Jesus Christ, how is that not going to lead to you loving God? How is it not going to lead to you saying, God, how great is your love for me that you sent your only son? And I appreciated what John said about the idea of Abraham and that he, he was that close to sacrificing his son. But yet in a great spoiler alert for the Bible is he didn't have to sacrifice his son, but yet through Abraham he would have a son that would die for all of us. The beauty of that cannot help but to lead us to love God. And the second part, we must love the brothers. You know, we just talked about it. John wants to say it in a different way, right? 
How are you doing at loving each other? How are you doing at loving each and every one of us? And elsewhere, he's going to say this in John chapter 15. This is my commandment, Jesus speaking, that you love one another as I've loved you. Man, John, if, if nothing else, his, his writings are consistent. It is super clear. He's going to say it in as many ways as he can. You want to know what it means to follow? You want to know what it means to walk as Jesus walked? You love your brothers. You love the people as this. And, and you know what? He wants to challenge you, right? What does that love look like? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Man, he's going to hammer it as much as he can. Last one, by the Spirit whom He has given us. You know, I, I said we'd get to that in a second. 1 John 3, the second part of verse 24. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He's given us. You know, as soon as I say that, there may be some heebie-jeebies floating around. There may be some, wait, what about this Spirit? You know, what exactly does that mean? How do I know it's inside of me? How do I know that God has given me His Spirit? And I don't want to take a whole series in class, but I want to give you what I think is some really simple verses that can help you understand how the Spirit works and how to know that it's in your life. And they both come from John. John chapter 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, a lot of times when we read this, this is where people will take it and say, oh yeah, you know, the Spirit speaks to me audibly and I say these things, but the ultimate litmus test there comes at the end. The remembrance of all that I've said to you. John doesn't just say it here. In fact, he says it at a different place. 1 John 4, 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the truth of error. John says, look, you want to know whether or not that voice that leading, that calling inside of you is from God or not? Does it agree with the Word? Does it agree with what's already been written? Does it agree with those of old that spoke on the behalf of God? You know, when you go back to that John 14, right? He will teach you all things. This is not like He's going to lay out. I, I do believe He did that for the disciples, but that's not for us. But you think about how many times have you read a verse in your life Two, three, four, five, ten times. And the tenth time you read it, something clicks. Think about that. The Holy Spirit is working. Jesus said, I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. The Holy Spirit is working to put the pieces together in your life. You know, a lot of these verses, as a young person, you read them and you're like, yeah, you know, that's, that, I get it. And then you get into your 20s and 30s and you're like, oh yeah, now I really get it. And then you get to later and you're like, okay, I don't get it at all. And then later down the line you're like, okay, I guess I don't need to get it, I just have to obey. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us. Not teaching us something new, but reminding us of what has already been said. I can't tell you how many times that I didn't want it to, but because I'd been reading His Word... I was reminded of a verse that challenged me, that showed me, that shined that light in an area of my life that I didn't want it shown. I can't tell you how many times I've been reminded of something that I really did not want to hear at that moment. We just talked about anger. Let me I couldn't list all the times that that's happened when it comes to anger. 
It happens so often. And as long as I'm listening to that voice, as long as I'm allowing that light to shine, as long as I'm allowing the Spirit to work inside of me to love those around me more deeply, and as long as I can obey and put my ego out of the way, then I can know that the Spirit is inside of me and that that is the down payment of what is to come. 1 John is a book filled with so many different ways of trying to reassure you that you are on the right path. And like I said, John is nothing but consistent. You know, of all my sermons, I can look out here and I can tell when I'm teaching something new. And for the first three points, I can tell everybody's falling asleep and you weren't following me. But then I got to the last one and it all clicked. Because you realize John is trying to give you in as many ways as possible proof that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. That the Holy Spirit is there. In fact, I didn't really talk about this, but 1 John chapter 4 starts off talking about the Spirit. How can we know what Spirit is working inside of us? You want to know if you have eternal life. John wants to remind you. He wants to let you know. But it starts by believing in His Son. It starts by acting out in faith, right? Even the demons believe. But to act out in faith in that belief is something totally different. Are you living a life that's willing to set ego aside, to not hide anything from God anymore, but come to the light and let Him shine that light into all of your life and let that Holy Spirit... You know, I I didn't say this clear enough, so I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit can only remind you of what you already know from the Word. you got to be in that Word. you got to be putting that in your mind and in your heart because then the Holy Spirit can work. He can bring to remembrance those things that you've read in His Word and then He can help you put the pieces together and teach you what it means to follow Jesus and truly love all of those around you. This is what John wants you to know. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you do not have eternal life. It comes by believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God that was given and prophesied long ago to sacrifice for your sins. And He was raised again to prove that we can have eternal life through Him. Or if you're here today and you are a Christian and you've been living in the darkness, you've been shutting off parts of your life and you haven't allowed Jesus into those areas of your life, John tries to warn you from the beginning that is the path that leads to you saying, Lord, Lord, and He's saying, I never knew you. We have to be willing to let the Spirit and His Word work in our life. And if you need the prayers of the church for that, come now as we stand and sing.